wanted to start with uh, uh, the book I read, uh, Monolithic, uh, yeah, um, Monolithic Undertow. Mm -hmm. Did you read it where you mentioned? Yes. And yeah. uh, I found it interesting because it, it started with an anecdote you told Air Sword, uh, which was about when you were studying music and uh, you had this sort of epiphany about Chopin's music. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I wanted you to tell us uh, the, the, this epiphany. Yeah, well, I grew up playing, uh, like, I was classically trained in piano. And uh, when I would play, I just liked Chopin's music a lot. It wasn't specifically Chopin as opposed mm -hmm. to other composers. But um, in a lot of that music, I would notice that there were these moments, like harmonic moments, that just sounded so nice. I think everybody experiences it. Like when you listen to a song, there's just a moment where you're like, oh, that's a really nice chord or that, mm -hmm. that resolution is really nice. And my feeling when I was playing that music and listening to it was that I just wanted to hear that on a much longer scale. And like in most of the time in music, you're hearing those things and then it's just passing. It comes and it goes. So my feeling was that I wanted to just have it extend and just really listen to that for a long time however that was yeah. possible. Well, in a way, drum music is sort of that. I mean, yeah. like taking a moment in time, in musical time, mm -hmm. and stretching it to enjoy it and find the, the nuances. Exactly, yeah. It. And I think also appreciating those things. Like I think, I don't know, I think in, in like classical music, it tends to be, I don't know, those moments always tend to be kind of subservient in a way to the like the larger melody or the harmonic progression or something and it's it's not really a concept that is seems to be accepted that you know it's okay to just listen to one mm -hmm. chord you yeah. know that it's it's more than just notes on the page it's not just about this is the chord this is the interval now it's going to this now it's going to this it's the actual like textural aspect that can't really be transcribed in I feel way. it's like much like uh, cinema where uh, people feel that they have to have a plot mm -hmm. to follow and to be concentrated mm -hmm. and they don't just look and uh, try to bask in the feelings of uh, the atmosphere you yeah. know when i was younger i uh, like when i was a teenager and was thinking about like what i wanted to do with myself mm -hmm. <laughs> um i really uh, wanted to be either a like a production designer like a set designer or a cinematographer Mm. So it's the same concept of like, it's the atmosphere, it's the, the textures, it's the, you know, the feeling that the details populate, like the characters and the plot and all that populates this space, but mm -hmm. it's the actual space that I was interested in creating, which I think is the same in the music that I do and I'm interested in. Yeah. Uh, also on that note, I think uh, we should, uh, I wanted to ask you if you have any specific uh, visual references when it comes to your music, mm. it can be uh, the movies, but also you know visual arts. Uh, the, I, I ask you that because also your album covers and uh, your pictures you post uh, show that you have a sensitivity towards the visual. So mm. I wanted to ask you. you about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything in particular, like I don't think there's like a particular aesthetic necessarily that mm -hmm. I gravitate towards, although in general, it's kind of a similar thing, like anything that tends to create, that tends to be more about the environment that it's created. Um, I've, I'm attracted to that. But even like when I was younger, like 
you know, before I really understood um, minimalist music, and I would, before I was even listening to any like minimalist music, um, I was quite interested in minimalist visual art, also like people oh. like Ad Reinhardt and that kind of like very monolithic artwork where it, it is about the details and the texture. Um, that was always very or the absence of them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think um, just always being interested in the layer below what you see when you look at things immediately, mm -hmm. when you see the objects and the story that's there, that's fine, but there's something behind it that has always been interesting. So yeah, I think in, in any sort of visual, um, I don't know, presentation that seems to pay attention to that, those kinds of things are interesting to me. Uh, in the case of drone music and minimalism, as you mentioned, uh, I think there's also a, a uh, uh, something with the physicality of it, like uh, the bodily mm -hmm. uh, experience, mm -hmm. because sometimes drone music seems to be really just a continuous tone mm -hmm. with uh, no uh, no variations, mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's the raw physicality of it that mm -hmm. makes it mm -hmm. the experience you have. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true. Like I, I feel that you know, as the musician and as the listener in that sense of, of the experience of it. But I think in a more general way, I also am interested in, I don't know how to explain it necessarily, but like the physicality of the sound itself in that sense of like, you know, like even with an instrument, like what I do in my research, um, my doctoral research is kind of expanding this idea of timbre and how we think of, of timbre and texture and how it <clears throat> is not just, you know, the acoustic aspects of things that you can measure about a sound, mm -hmm. but also those intricacies that make sounds like individuals, in a sense, or instruments like individuals, these like specific things that, that are sort of idiosyncratic to those instruments and the sounds that they produce. So in that way, I feel like there's a very like physical aspects and especially with instruments i mean my, my interest in musical instruments comes from that physicality of them um which yeah which you know. brings me also to the fact that uh in the in recent years the whole new wave of ambient music electronic ambient music mm -hmm. uh, was uh you know replaced by this sort of concreteness and the uh, renovated interest in uh, uh, acoustic instruments mm -hmm. it's a it's a very clear trend uh, which uh, is also uh, thanks to the continuing legacy of uh, Alvin Lussier mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know uh, Phil Nyblock, Yara Digue with the yeah, Ocamotion yeah. series. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you interpret this new trend of the return to the acoustic? I mean, yeah, it's hard. I can't speak for any of those composers and I can't speak for anybody but myself. But for me, um, you know, again, thinking of sound from this physical way, in my mind, there isn't really a distinction between electronic and acoustic any more than there is between like a piano and a flute. Like they're as different and similar as those two things. It's just a different way that the sound is produced. So for me personally, it wasn't a far stretch to go from, okay, I'm working with electronic sounds now I'm going to move to this other instrument world, which is essentially the same. It's just a different instrument. Again, it's like moving from the piano to the flute or something. It's just a, a, a different version of yeah. the same thing. 
you know. So you're equally interested in electronic sounds and graphical sounds. Oh, absolutely, sounds. yeah. I think, again, I don't really, I don't see how they're different, really. Oh, well, uh, let's talk a bit about uh, your latest record, Antiphonos, which is based You said it correctly. The... Most people don't say it correctly. <laughs> oh, no? No, most people uh, pronounce it uh, Antiphonos. Oh, well. But uh, I'm Italian, so yes. it has the same cadence, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true, yeah. And uh, you'll be presenting it uh, uh, in, uh, at Inner Spaces tonight here Part, in Milan. Yeah, parts of it. Yeah. Parts of it, yeah, of course, as an electronic set. Mm -hmm. uh, what were the inspirations behind this particular project? Yeah, I mean, there were a few things that kind of came together with this record. I mean, with all of my records, I tend to... I work on records quite regularly. <laughs> like I'm yeah. always working on. They're very prolific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just I'm always my brain can't stop. Uh, anyway, so with records, I tend to, you know, on certain records, I'll focus on working with other people. Like I'm working on a record right now that includes a lot of other musicians and and things like that. And then with other records, it's very intimate very private where it's just me kind of doing everything and in this case it was me basically just in my studio mm -hmm. um partly intentionally i mean it it kind of overlapped i guess with the pandemic in an interesting way mm -hmm. in that um when i the way that i work on records is i'll usually like plan for you know like six months or something before i even start working on a record like while i'm working on something else and then when I'm finished with the previous thing, then I'll sit down and start the new one. Um, so I had already kind of been planning to do this solo record where I, essentially what I wanted to do was incorporate more of the things that I do in live performance on record, because typically I tend to separate them. Mm -hmm. I, I like to separate them. Like I like to have things that work well on a record yeah. and things you know in the live space, there's so much more that you can do. So I like to take advantage of that. Um, but I'd been noticing that there were things that I was doing in my live sets that you weren't hearing on record. So I wanted mm. to kind of um, overlap those two. And so my, yeah, my intention was to just be in my studio anyway. And I ended up in my studio a lot yeah. more than I had anticipated last year. Um, but it was, it was nice in a way that, you know, I, I had the luxury of just being able to set everything up in my studio and not having to tear it down to go travel mm -hmm. or whatever and, and really just having the luxury of time um, to work on it. So I think it ended up sounding uh, different than it would have under normal circumstances. I think it ended up sounding more introspective. Yeah, slower or something to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. yeah, that is this inner quality, you know, very intimate. Yeah. But again, I think all of your music, even with, with uh, other performers, it really sounds like the sound of one. Mm -hmm. They all uh, unite in, a, in the same uh, direction and uh, it feels like the sound of one, a, a polyphony of one. Mm, thank you. That's so. a very beautiful that's, term. Uh, that's uh, very, uh, always very intimate. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it always, even when I work with other people, it always, um, you know, like there will be the, the recording sort of like tracking part and then it always comes back to my studio and me alone yeah. working through stuff so at the end of the day yeah it always comes through the same process so it's, it's very personal yeah, yeah yeah lots of vintage instruments you, <laughs> you work with yeah i mean i just i love instruments i think they're so uh i mean it's probably a lot of people listening know i, I used to work at a musical instrument mm -hmm. museum for a long time and that really sparked 
this interest because I think you start to appreciate, um, you know, when it's one thing to sort of think about instruments from like a historical or technological perspective or whatever, but when you actually get a chance to play them and use them, um, it's just a, it's another layer of understanding the instrument and having um, a sense of closeness, uh, like an intimacy with the instrument that you can't get just from explaining it or thinking about how it works since mm -hmm. you really have to to play it and, and have that dialogue with it and that was such a valuable lesson to me being able to interact with so many different kinds of instruments and that just really sparked an interest in me in um, exploring different instruments and, and like I said I tend to think of instruments as um, like individuals in the sense mm. that like every instrument has a voice yeah it's like yeah. a it has a personality in a sense and, and you have to like the same way that you take the time to get to know a person you have to take that same time to get to know yeah. an instrument and you'll have a specific dialogue with that instrument that somebody else won't you know and I think that's really interesting with instruments yeah so but they're all the same again it's all kind of I don't think that an old instrument is any better or worse than a new instrument. They're just different. They're yeah, sure. Different but, versions of the um, same thing. I was thinking if you were uh, moved by a sort of a nostalgia factor when you come to an instrument like the Mellotron, which is closely <coughs> linked to the progressive you know, era. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking. Uh, also, of course, there's the medieval aspect of it mm -hmm. and the Cantus Firmus mm -hmm. and all the, that kind of thing, but uh, I was wondering if you had this nostalgia for sounds that somehow reside in the past. Um, yes and no. I think, I think there's an initial interest in an instrument, and I think also, you know, there's certain instruments that I have interest in um, just from like a listening perspective, but that I have no interest in playing, really. Like, you know, I love the guitar, for instance. I love the sound of the guitar, but I'm not a guitarist. I, I don't really have much of an interest in mm -hmm. learning that idiom. Um, so for me, there's, yeah, there's two different versions of how I hear an instrument. And in the one sense, there, yeah, there's definitely some instruments that, if you want to call it like a nostalgic interest in them, especially with like early music instruments, like instruments from the Renaissance, you know, you don't mm. hear those things anymore. So they're always going to be associated with this period in time. Um, but do I want to, you know, write a piece for every single one of those instruments? No, not necessarily. <laughs> and oh, I think yeah, that when course. I do, you know, like with the, in the case of the, the Meltron, for instance, is a good example. Um, it's a bit of both in that there is this, attraction, <clears throat> excuse me, to what the instrument represents sort of culturally or what it has represented in terms of, you know, being, being used in a certain type of music. Um, but when I use it in my music, I, I never try to, I use it the same way that I would I approach any other instrument, oh, yeah. you know, in, in a way yeah, that's me and not trying to sound like anything. No, sure. So. That specific instrument, I think, is uh, really, uh, like, caged in that decade, you know? Yeah, that's kind of my, my interest actually in using yeah. it, is that I kind of, and what I wanted to do with this album in particular, because it is, it's mostly Mellotron, I kind of wanted to at least give it the opportunity to be, hmm. not that I think it's, obviously I love that kind of music, I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with it being associated with it, but to just give it the opportunity to have a different kind of life, you know, and, and be heard in a different way, I think is, is a, a good service to an instrument yeah same so, with medieval instruments and things like it's that. it's also very versatile but 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a hard question, uh, like in, in terms of con concept, you know, but mm -hmm. uh, when you write music, do you tend to focus more or on a, an overarching vision? Or do you focus just on the pure sound matter as it <coughs> unfolds through time? Mm. We have a project before, mm -hmm. uh, like you have it all sorted out, mm -hmm. or do you make it uh, like progressively through time? Yeah, again, I think it's a bit of both. I think um, I plan a lot usually, um, even if it's like it might be a very vague plan like you know even just saying like I want to use this instrument might, might be as far as the plan goes other times it's more detailed where I have an idea of like what I want a piece to sound like and, and what I want it to do um, so I usually go into things with that in mind but I never I think you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you just stuck to that yeah. plan and tried to make it happen I, I so when things when I start to work on something if there's a certain way that it feels like it's going or it's not working or something comes up that's more interesting, then obviously I'll follow that and, and kind of go with it in real time, I guess. Like so to speak. improvise more when you write or... Yeah, yeah, definitely. It most, I'd say almost all pieces that I start with are coming from some sort of improvisation. And then I also believe very strongly in the idea of iteration, so like reworking things and then repeating ideas in different ways to try to get closer to what you're really trying to do with it or, or coming up with different ways because I think even when you know you have one musical thing that's happening in a certain context and then you put it into a different context it, it just can be completely different so I think there's always this idea when you're especially when you're making records that it's like you do one thing and then you can't ever do it again for some reason and I, I strongly I'm opposed to that. I think it's okay. You're not keen to repeat yourself, right? Uh, no, I am. I think it's... Oh, you are? Yeah, I think the idea that, that you're not supposed to, that you're just supposed to do something once and then never do it again, oh, okay. I think is, is really problematic. So I, I think it's okay to, to repeat and to rework things and think about them in, in a different way over time. Um, so yeah, I mean, usually something will start with improvisation, but then it might go through that process of, you know, taking multiple times to be worked through into, into a different piece or just, you know, something different. But also because reworking a previous, you know, idea or concept about uh, composition can bring out new ideas itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, take you to a, a whole nother, you know, mm -hmm. uh, scenery and uh, this is interesting because we uh, just visited the uh, Ricordia archive mm -hmm. I wondered if you ever visited a place like this and if you were interested in making uh, maybe uh, new works based on archival documents or uh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, again I worked at a a museum um, and we did have some archival documents it was mostly instruments but there were some you know like paper documents and things like that um, I did also work when I was doing my master's degree at Mills College um, they have a pretty extensive paper archive of program notes and things like that lectures from from uh, the past um, that I was digitizing when I was there obviously nothing quite as old as <laughs> what they have mm -hmm. here um, but yeah, I mean, seeing actual 
I don't know. It's a really, it's such a complex subject when you get to talking about nostalgia and, and things like that um, and our relationship with objects from the past. For me, it's interesting to just see those things, you know, again, in like this different context and to, to you know, we were looking at these um, like costume designs from like the late 1800s or something like that. And they had these um, fabric swatches that were from, from the time. And I mean, as an, uh, somebody who's interested in archival studies and things like that, it's, it's obviously very interesting, you know, in sort of an academic sense, but it's, it's interesting to think of those, even just something like a, a texture of a fabric that isn't here anymore, and to think about something like that and what it means now and how it can relate to somebody now. It's even the same thing with the Mellotron, you know, that you're so, you think of the Mellotron in such a specific way when you think of it and you think of, you know, these costume designs and these textiles and these certain types of textures and colors and like the quality of them as being so associated with a specific time, but it's not, it doesn't need to be, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me to think of how that can sort of be divorced from that almost, that sense of nostalgia and just seen for what it is. Seeing it in the present. Yeah, right. or just seeing it, yeah, without this contextual baggage, yeah. you know. Also because maybe a texture, when you look at it from really close, it becomes something else. Mm -hmm. It has a, a level of detail that uh, you, you wouldn't think of uh, seeing mm -hmm. it from, uh, from afar. And uh, that is also maybe an inspiration for uh, a composer like, like it was for Morton Feldman, mm -hmm. for example, which yeah. is one of the composers I love the most. But yeah. uh, he, he found that the, uh, these uh, Persian textures on, mm -hmm. on carpets uh, were mm -hmm. uh, like uh, in, its, uh, in, in themselves the, uh, the elements of, a, of like a, a melody. Or yeah, a, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, I also think that, you know, this idea of obsolescence you know, thinking about it from um, at least the perspective of musical instruments, because that's something I know more about intimately, I guess. Um, there's always this narrative that we've been told where newer equals better and mm -hmm. old equals, it's like worse. You know, the reason that the old thing is obsolete is because it wasn't good. You know, there's a story about that. And it's just completely not true at all that, you know, there's so many different factors of why certain things didn't make it through to a different era or why they were gotten rid of. And most of the time it has nothing to do with the actual quality of it. It's just a sort of a convenience yeah. factor, you know, it's always that. Yeah. yeah and so, yeah, I, I think that again, just like giving these things another chance to, to be appreciated, I guess in a different way yeah. is also interesting. Yeah, that, that I think is reflected also in the renewed interest in the pipe organ, yeah. Uh, yeah. which you work on also, yeah. but uh, there's been, a, from 10 years now, mm -hmm. uh, there's been a new surge of interest uh, on the pipe organ, which I think started with uh, Rick Dead from mm -hmm. uh, Tim Ecker, mm -hmm. and uh, then it extended to also many female musicians like Ellen yeah. Ackroll, yeah. Karen Malone, yeah. Anna von Auswolf. Mm -hmm. Do you feel related to that kind of research? Is there something in particular that interests you in that? Yeah, I mean, for me again, it's I think it's always a personal story of how people get into these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, for me, uh, you know, I kind of discovered 
um, pipe organs at the same time. Like basically, when I started working at, at the Musical Instrument Museum in, in Canada, mm-hmm. um, kind of at the same time as when I discovered synthesizers. And for me, you know, coming out of playing the piano, which um, is a fine instrument to play, I guess, but for me, thinking compositionally, it was completely the wrong instrument for me. And when I discovered those two instruments, I mean, again, in my mind, the uh, organ, the pipe organ, is just an acoustic synthesizer. They're exactly, they work yeah. in exactly the same way. And so it's another, you know, idea of, of there's really not much difference between the acoustic and the electronic in that perspective. So for me, it was, it was seeing it like that. It was just this instrument that checked all the boxes for me. Yeah. It was capable of, of manipulating sound and, and sustaining sound in a really meaningful way. Um, and I remember, you know, this was like almost like 15 years ago now. I remember, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I would go in at night when nobody was around and wow. just play this organ and just hold like chords on it and just listen to the, the acoustics. That's um, the ca- this kind of miracle feeling when you yeah. touch it and it sparks this <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. great sound. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's nothing else like it. And I would do the same thing with synthesizers where I would mm-hmm. just put two oscillators in tune and just listen to them drift, yeah. you know, which was a natural thing that it was the instruments doing. And it's the same thing with organs because they're acoustic and, you know, they're never going to be exactly precise. They're always going to be a little yeah. off. And that's what creates the, for me, the richness. In, yeah, that's in why I think music. they went back to the original instrument because yeah. it, all, uh, it still holds so much mm-hmm. potential to explore Uh, microtonal mm-hmm. variations, uh, subharmonics, yeah. uh, and that's another example of you know analog instruments kind of going out of fashion. For I mean, they're coming back, obviously, but when they did, it was because they were so imprecise. It wasn't because digital instruments yeah. sound better. It's just people wanted their instruments to stay in tune, and analog instruments didn't do that very well. They weren't thinking of it like, oh, maybe if they don't stay in tune, that's a musical device mm-hmm. that we can like exploit yeah. in an interesting way, you know. So, yeah, it's yeah for me the organ was uh, it just was like the perfect instrument. <laughs> I think. Yeah, maybe contemporary musicians discovered that the imprecision was really the interesting thing about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of it, it again. I I subscribe to the idea that there's no that no instrument or practice or whatever is better or worse than any other. It's they're all valid. They're all equal. It's just whichever better suits a certain context or a way of working um and you know i especially when you're dealing with tuning um sometimes you want it to be super precise sometimes you need it in order for those kinds of things to happen you need you need for things not to drift out of tune all the time so yeah it's just it just depends on on the specific you know moment that you're trying to go Mm -hmm. for i think well uh drone music has this kind of transcendental character to it mm-hmm. which which to me also is also linked not just with the pipe organ I mean but it's also linked with uh, uh, with sacred music it goes back to sacred music this mm-hmm. kind of overarching uh, uh, feeling mm-hmm. of uh, transcendence mm-hmm. of going beyond what you hear mm-hmm. uh, do you do you seek the, these kind of experience when you play when you compose Yeah, it's, again, it's kind of a tricky question because I, um, you know, personally, I have a lot of issues with religion and mm-hmm. I am, I would consider myself to be very 
uh, like anti-religion, not just non, non-religious. So it's always complicated um, with the organ and, and playing in churches and things like that because it, it has so much weight of that and it's, it's, it's complicated. Um, but for me, and I also, I grew up completely secular. Like I, I had no, there's no religious aspect in, in anything um, that I was raised into. So for me coming into that kind of music, it's, it's always been, like I would also, saying that being anti-religious, I would also kind of consider myself to be a pretty like, it sounds a bit cheesy or whatever, but I, I would consider myself to be a, a pretty spiritual person mm-hmm. in that sense, but I, I don't think of it in like religious terms at all. I think of it um, almost in like this aesthetic sense of, of this idea of transcendence, I think is a very interesting thing of being able to kind of have this altered perspective of things or a different experience um, in the moment. And I think those kinds of experiences are really interesting and, I, and that's what I would sort of consider to be sort of quasi-spiritual experiences, which um, oftentimes come from uh, aesthetic means, you know. So yeah, it's for me in music, it's it's always about creating that kind of space for myself. I mean, I make the kind of music that I do because it's what I want to hear. It's it it satisfies that for me. So it's it's just an added pleasure that other people <laughs> well <laughs> seem to enjoy it too. In some way, you find your spirituality in sound itself. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's it's such a it's weird that like we still have these connotations even now that like when you bring up the idea of spirituality that it still is so connected to this idea of like the sacred and and this religious aspect um but i think there's a completely secular understanding of spirituality that is to me much more apparent and more like tangible in a sense you know much more easily accessible and and you can articulate how it happens and and what the experience of it is is like to an extent um yeah so i think that's and not just in you know i think again it tends to work a bit easier in this kind of music and in more like drone based Mm -hmm. music but for me personally i can i can find it in any type of music i mean i'm as somebody who's interested in um, in timbre and texture, mm-hmm. um, even in like popular music, you know, the, the way that production is approached in, in recordings can be just as, you know, transcendent an experience, being able to hear those, those differences and those moments when they, when they happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, about timber, do you know the label, another timber? I do, yes, absolutely. Many Canadian composers. Yes, that's Simon true. Simon is very interested in Canadian composers. This, yes. <laughs> and uh, um, I was wondering if you uh, somehow uh, found the same interest in uh, some uh, uh, aspects of it, like the uh, the space it has, the silences, mm-hmm. um, this kind of. Uh, Focusing on single uh, sound events mm-hmm. in time, uh, which which stems, of course, from Cage and Feldman, which mm-hmm. were the uh, main uh, inspirations for that kind of new radical mm-hmm. uh, composition, uh, you know, re- mm-hmm. reductionist composition. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you have any kind of interest in that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, especially. I, I kind of came to it in like a backwards way. Um, 
uh, Cage's way of working with time and, and just pacing in, in music and using time brackets to actually mm-hmm. express like how you move from, from place to place rather than having this like measured idea um, that you do on a score. I've been doing that since the early, since the first time I was performing. I think that just made sense to me um, conceptually and uh, only realized later that it was part of this larger tradition of, of you know, um, breaking down this, this temporal way of understanding music. Um, yeah, it's, it's really important. I mean, I think that um, for as interested as I am in texture and timbre, and for as important as that is in my music, I think something that I maybe don't talk about as much for no particular reason is the, the temporal aspect and, and this idea of pacing and, and how time is perceived um, in sound and how sound can really be used to, to create a very different sense of time and a very altered sense of time um, is just as important. And I think maybe I'm, I'm realizing this uh, or being reminded of it even more as I'm starting to play live again. and, and mm having the last year and a half just working on records it's such a vastly different way of thinking about time and again I think they're both interesting and they're both useful um, but yeah being reminded of, of just having the luxury of time and having things really be able to happen like in the in the um, live works that I'm doing now and also in the, I've been composing a lot of um, like chamber works that that are intended to be performed mm-hmm. before they're <laughs> intended to be recorded. Uh, and I just find myself so much more interested in, I just want this to be long. I want to take time with it because that's something that you can't always do in, in other formats. And it's such an important thing, you know, being able to have that, yeah. that new, patience. New musicians, uh, I think, have found uh, the, uh, the meaning of stretching time as a way of... Uh, uh, meaning mm-hmm. in itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm very interested in that because I'm trying to <laughs> to write a book about it, mm-hmm. about the the various concepts of time oh, and wow. composition. Oh, that's really interesting. So I was directly interested also in that. Uh-huh. Uh, I find that breaking the boundary of a a, a track or a movement that has to be. Uh, within uh, a reasonable, uh, reasonable, you know, mm-hmm. uh, timing, it's important to uh, to just go and discover what's beyond the, those boundaries and uh, enter in a new state where time dissolves in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, it's now not uh, uh, perceived as it was anymore. Yeah, and uh, it changes completely the perspective you have also on sound yeah absolutely yeah and I think even just like um yeah I mean like what you said like changing the perspective on sound but I think also I don't know just like the the experience of it can can be so is so dependent on the the timing that is used and it can just change things so drastically when something is just taken much slower and and happens in a much slower way. I'm finding even with a lot of stuff where, you know, stuff that I'm working on now where I'm constantly slowing it down and I'm playing it for other people, asking them what they think. And they're like, you think it's a little too slow? And I'm like, no, it's not slow enough. It needs to be slower and slower and slower. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it just, it's, 
I mean, I guess if there's one like good thing that's come out of the pandemic for me personally, it's it's having like more of a, a sense of clarity about what's important to me musically and what I really want to the kind of experience that I want to achieve and. Well, it was a moment in time when you really had the chance to stop and just listen. Yeah. I think many people didn't uh, have the chance to do that. And yeah. the pandemic gave you uh, an incredible Too amount much. of time to just <laughs> tune in and yeah. uh, concentrate on, on these sounds. So really, I think this is the perfect moment for music like this. Yeah. It was yeah. already, but now it's more than ever yeah. relevant to uh, listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, every time I I perform or work on music, it's always this like very clear feeling of like, yes, this is this is what I'm interested in. This is the sense of time that I want to explore. This is the the feeling that I need to create, and and this is how I do it. You know, it becomes a lot more apparent mm -hmm. now. I think. Well, I think. That was it. <laughs> I don't know how much we, we talked, but I, I think uh, it's enough. So really, thank you. It's oh, thank really you. Really pleasurable to yeah. talk to you. Thank you so much for bringing me here. The archive <laughs> was amazing. <Yeah. laughs>